I've got Rob Mitchelson back to talk Star Wars because Solo, a Star Wars story, has come out. So it's Star Wars season again. Hey, Rob. Hey, Tyler. How are you doing? Really good. I wanted to, I wanted to start. Well, first, we should warn everybody that if, if you haven't heard any of these Star Wars specials before, they're fully spoilered. So, um, you know, if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen uh, starting right now because um, I'm just not going to be careful about anything I say. <laughs> Does anybody want to hear about solo right now there's there's generally some mixed reviews um and i think overall less people saw this movie than any other recent star wars movie and i'm like i i know i I really like star wars as a franchise i enjoy the world and i like to keep going back to it i know i'm going to keep seeing the movies but how is it the one franchise that's getting time on my podcast you know like what has disney done to earn free media attention uh, from the two of us. And I don't, like, I don't know. How do you feel about the the world of Star Wars right now? Well, I still, I mean, it's still a favorite for me. I still love the films, particularly the original trilogy, and I still love seeing them try to expand it and take it someplace new. So I still get a big kick out of it. Uh, hard to say whether or not, whether or not I think Disney deserves more time on this, but I, I mean, count me in with the fanboys who are just like, yeah, let's let's make more Star Wars all the time forever. Well, I mean, one thing I was thinking about is that if these ever get bad, I probably just won't do an episode about it. So, you know, for a spoiler, I like this movie. And I think if I ever just really dislike one, there probably just won't be a podcast because I, I just won't be interested enough to say anything about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Also that, you know, maybe it's even that there is some momentum because there's that we have talked about Star Wars before because there are other good movies like uh, Thor Ragnarok. I was tempted to do an episode just about that. But then I was like, well, that's kind of out of nowhere because I haven't done any Marvel movies and I'm not going to do every Marvel movie because if I if I did every Star Wars and every Marvel movie, you know, that's, this would be a different show. That's a lot of product. Disney's quite a media empire at the moment. Oh, so man. tell me about it. What, what, what else have you seen from the Disney world yet? You last time we spoke, you hadn't seen the new Avengers yet. I still haven't seen the new okay. Avengers movie did, yet. Did you see Thor? I did see Thor and I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I still want to talk about Thor. Okay. But that's not why we're here. I won't get distracted. Uh, where, where are my notes? Let me pull this up. So solo, we saw it together. We didn't see it solo. Which is the first time we've done that for any of our, our Star Wars things. So that was, That's that was true. Fun. We managed to coordinate our schedules and actually be there in the same theater at the same time. Well, and I thought something interesting was that when we talked about going, this was the first time that uh, our, our significant others uh, were uninterested. I, I don't know if it was the same sentiment on, on each side, but yeah, I think both of our wives were just like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll watch this on a smaller screen. Yeah, actually, uh, on on my side, Don was worried. She loves Han Solo so much; like he's by far her favorite character. So she was like, "Oh, let me know." Uh, don't then, let her see then, episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> she was very sad about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, Anya was just like, I don't know. I, I you know, I think she would have enjoyed it, and I think it also turned out better than I expected. I I was the least excited for this movie out of any of them, which maybe is part of why I was able to get into it spoiler free. Uh, I'm happy to report I knew very little about the movie going into it. All I had to do was not look when trailers came on. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it worked out pretty well. There's there's one thing that really, this is such a small detail, nobody else mm-hmm. would care, but something that bugged me was that in airports, I, when we were traveling, I saw video billboards where the characters were just sort of on screen hanging out. And this is becoming a common thing about modern advertising, right? Like, 
things don't have to be printed. They can be videos just as easily because screens are cheap. It's a really smart way to show things, right? Like instead of just showing a static poster, why can't you give it some movement to give it some animation and let it be a video? Of course. What really bugged me a lot about it and, and stuck in my head is that the characters in the poster, so it's a video, right? They are moving. They just kind of walk into frame and they're staring into the camera, making eye contact with the camera, which would be common for a movie poster. That wouldn't be strange. But seeing it in video, it was like, I realized this is the one moment where the fourth wall is being broken in Star Wars, where all of a sudden I see the actors acknowledging a camera as they're moving. And like, I'm like, oh, they're, they know they're in a poster right now. Yeah. I don't know if that's sort of, that's like a weirdly specific problem to have, but there's more a, a critique of uh, when you're not aware of the impact that your advertising has, that mm-hmm. if you apply the exact same rules that worked in print to video, there was just this un- unintended consequence for my perception of it anyway. I can see that. And in fact, there was this same fourth wall breaking with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 2. Um, there was lot of volume two. There was lots of that kind of like the whole band is posed as a, as a, as like a album cover or a gig poster or whatever, but they're all posed there and they're all in motion as well. Right. And so it, it takes you like, there's a moment where, yeah, they have acknowledged the camera and they, and so and it kind of, it kind of works for guardians of the galaxy, but it did feel a little unreal or surreal no unreal for star wars it's mm-hmm. like it took me out of the reality of that universe yeah well i mean deadpool does it like crazy but that's the point you know like yeah you just kind of have to i feel like you have to commit more fully to whether or not this is a thing your characters do across all of the media relating to it not just in the film agreed yeah i don't know okay that's that's kind of weirdly specific let's talk about <laughs> about the actual movie what, what was your spoiler level going in uh my spoiler level was low i mean most of my spoilers came from knowing the Star Wars universe pretty well. So I knew that uh, uh, Chewie owed Han a life debt, and I knew that uh, he'd won the Millennium Falcon gambling. I suspected I would see those two things play out, and the rest of it uh, was a total surprise to me. Well, that was that was a big thing about this movie, is if you had any questions ever about Han Solo, they made sure to answer 100% of them in this movie. It was like <laughs> any, any throwaway phrase that was ever mentioned, ever, um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna explain that and bring it in. Sure, at yeah, least they it did. felt like that a bit. And I think a lot of them went over my head. I think you got more specific references than I did during, and I've kind of caught up on them since reading Easter egg articles. But they, yeah, they really loaded this with details. <laughs> it was it was crammed in there. It was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, so they continue the tradition of making a bigger deal of the dice, which were a blink and you'll miss it thing in the original films. Yeah, I'm not actually a fan of that um, because it was it so clearly feels like because it's a product drawing all this extra attention to to it makes me think about, oh, Disney is building up an object so they can sell that object. Yeah, I'm I'm going to buy some Han Solo dice. Yeah, for sure. And it was not it, th- this was never important before. So <laughs> no, I, not until Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of feels forced to me. I don't love that that specific detail, but but yeah, like what else? I mean, even the card game Sabak is that yes, what it's called? That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had forgotten about that, and I hadn't watched any of the uh, old Star Wars recently. I haven't seen any of them for at least like two or three years now. So or. Uh, less than that, but nothing was fresh in my mind. So a lot of those detailed references kind of slipped past me. And I got to say, I actually 
enjoyed that a little bit more. Like the amount of references when I was having, when a lot of references were coming hard and fast at me, that was a little distracting. And I liked it more when I wasn't noticing them and they just like slipped by and like, oh, this is just a movie with a universe. And I don't need to think about the meta world around it. I don't have to be reminded that Star Wars is a movie. Again, fourth wall stuff. Uh, I can just like enjoy it on its own merits as a action heist film. Yeah. And I think actually it worked pretty well on that level. Like, I mean, there was stuff in there and some of it made me laugh because I was like, oh, of course. Uh, but I, I think in general uh, that the film told a story. I was satisfied with the story. It didn't feel, I know I've heard complaints from friends of mine who were like, that was too explainy and too expository, but mm. uh, I didn't mind. It all felt fine to me. I think the way that they explained most of it actually like went pretty well. Like most of the explanations I was satisfied with them, but mm-hmm. it, it did feel like they had a really long checklist of like, we have to hit all of these points. Like we can't, yeah. we can't leave any of these things still Which is hanging ironic. questions. I felt that was ironic because I thought for sure they were setting themselves up for a solo sequel. Right. Yeah. By the end of it. Duo. Yeah. Well, and I, that uh, that's my last note in my notes, actually. I, let's let's talk about that at the end. But like, the most interesting one I thought was maybe making the, was it the Imperial March that was playing over the uh, recruitment video in a oh, major yes. key that, that, <laughs> that became canon inside of the movie? I totally liked that. I'm like, oh, this is a... This is Star Wars music to these characters. That's so, that's cool. And they, yeah, they use it as an anthem. Yeah. I, I want to re, like, I want to hear it more closely and carefully because it sounded like it was major to me. Like it was not exactly the theme, it was a brighter, happier, inspiring version of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's going to be a second viewing thing for me. Are you going to go back while it's in theaters? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, you and I talked about this. We both have a tendency rather than buying films the, the, way, the way that we used to is that we will, both go back and see them in the theaters on the big screen. And then you've got it kind of locked in. You remember everything that's important and, and the moments that you care about and you've seen them big. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I have kind of a hard time focusing on movies at home anyway. You know, I'm on Twitter and uh, <laughs> I, I pause it and I walk out and then I forget I was watching a movie. I'm kind of, I'm bad at watching movies when it's not <laughs> in a theater. So I, I like that forced attention. Yeah, I, I mean, you are a captive audience essentially. So I, I liked the Chewy introduction but line that fell flat for me was that we're going to need to give you a nickname. I, I don't know. Like that was an example of like, did you really need to hang a lantern on, on the fact that he, he doesn't call him? Yeah. He doesn't call him Chewbacca all the time. Yeah. Like we might've been not, confused. <laughs> it's not that much harder than Chewie really. Like, yeah, no, I think uh, we could have, we could have lived without that, but I thought the interplay between the two of them, the, the, the way that, that they bothered to give you the expository understanding that he speaks Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think is, that's actually really funny. And it's the only time you ever see him attempting to speak Wookiee. And otherwise, you just know that he understands him somehow. Yeah, that, one, that one I liked. Um, it, it kind of made the world feel a little more complete and make a little bit more sense of that Wookiee is a language. Before, it was sort of just magic that some people could understand him. Yes. It didn't feel like a linguistic thing it felt like just okay this is you was accept this about the world that some people magically have a babble fish in their ear that can translate it and others don't yeah. but but this made a little more sense of it and it was like oh so part of their little character arc of friendship is uh that chewy appreciates the gesture of of han being able to speak a little uh what's it called what 
Wookiees? No, I don't remember the name of the language. I literally have no idea. Yeah, but let's assume Wookiees for now. And then that, and then people will correct us for certain in the comments. Uh, well, no, it's a nice thing about podcasts. There's no comments. Oh. <laughs> so we never hear back from anyone. Thank goodness. Well, just send Tyler a message privately and let him know how wrong I was. And then what were some other, what were your favorite references? Like what really worked? Well, you know, it's funny, actually. A lot of the things that uh, stood out for me were things like the way the genre played out. Uh, Although in terms of references to the future films, I I liked that we set up that uh, Lando was cheating at the card game initially. Right. because, Because I knew he was supposed to win that, win that ship. So I was like, well, when's that going to happen? It obviously has to happen later, and we obviously have to come back around to this. So that reference felt nice to me. I was like, okay, you're you're delaying that for a while because you know I'm looking for it. A few other things. I, I, I do have big questions about a reference to the prequel films, which which uh, I guess we can talk about as we move on into the plot. Yeah, that's a big one. Okay, let's let's do a little bit of plot order. I didn't make my notes in a plot way, so uh, this is any of this is going on memory of course i did not like the worm creature at the beginning i like the the okay no 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 wait here's the first thing i didn't like we okay we have our title card come up with uh galaxy far far away uh, which we expected and we yes. knew there wouldn't be a crawl after it but then there is more text with a similar tr- font treatment but it's different so the first title card is left aligned and the next ones are centered justified yes that that struck me as odd as well why did that happen how like there's so there's almost nothing on screen there's you know like a tweet worth of characters and they weren't aligned the same way that was so strange to me it was odd and i also i felt like okay well if you've got a uh, a crawl to do or like an expository crawl to do then uh, maybe do it as a narrative instead, like yeah. a, like a narrated thing. Well, yeah, there, I think there, I would have understood that. There's nothing that was given away in that. Like all they were doing is introducing this worm character that we see for 30 seconds later on, and then she's gone. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't need it at all. It, it was expl- if you just cut those words out because I actually don't remember what they even said. Everything makes just as much sense. So yeah. That wasn't ideal, but I did like all the the first action scenes. I like the feeling of like it starts off on his little small adventures around town, stealing cruisers, and then it leads up to the bigger versions of that. Like we see the the small young solo. Um, you know, I think that worked. It's exactly what we were expecting, and I I liked it. Yeah, I thought it worked pretty well. Um, I, I had a bit of a hard time judging, and again, this is this is flashing forward to that. Uh, prequel moment that happens at the end <laughs> of the whole film, building but, up to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I had a hard time, a bit of a hard time judging how old Han was. Yeah. I, I like, where I, are we in the arc of those stories? I had to Google that as soon as we left. Cause I, I couldn't figure it out. Even by the end of the movie, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And what I found was that this was, so he is supposed to be, I think it was 22 for the main content of this. Okay. And in the time that we see him at the beginning, he was 19. So then three years pass, he's 22. But then the actor is, I think, 28. Okay. Uh, Alan, how do you say his last name? Aaron? Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich is 28 in real life. And Harrison Ford was 35. And then in the film world, there is a 10-year difference. Okay. I think this is what it means. Harrison Ford is playing a 28-year-old. I don't know. That sounds a little bit wrong, but it, that gives you a rough idea. There are 10 years between the end of this movie and the beginning of A New Hope. Well, then we better get 
to this first. And I'm like, I mean, I, again, I enjoyed this film. I think it was really fun. It was a good time. I loved the space Western feel of it. Uh, let's work backwards because sure. it, it, like this is this was a standout mystery for me. And I wonder if you if you came to any conclusions about it. So right at the end, Kira has kind of betrayed Han, but also kind of covered up his involvement in anything to leave him out of it, making room for that possible sequel. And then who is she talking to? <laughs> yeah, so Darth Maul appears. And, and does he have mechanical legs? Is that why he's there? Yes. So are All you aware right. of now this connection? I, yeah. Now I get it. So because... I had heard about this before, too. And so I, that made it make a little more sense when I saw it because I had heard that backstory from Rebels, right? It's Rebels yeah. that he's in. Which, to quickly summarize, it's that uh, when he fell down that pit and was cut in half it like cauterized the lightsaber cauterized his torso and he did not die okay and he force willed himself to find some spider legs in the garbage dump that he fell into and Uh he like survived on that planet for a number of years with spider legs and was insane and then somehow escaped it and met up with his brother and got uh real legs cured his insanity and started becoming the kingpin of a crime syndicate. Okay. So now I understand because when I, when I saw him at first, well, actually that's not true. I saw him with, I saw that figure. I was like, is that Darth Maul? Mm-hmm. I saw mechanical legs and I was like, Oh, I guess he's been cut in half. And then when I saw Darth Maul's face, I was like, no, it's just Darth Maul. I forgot about the legs. And <laughs> I was trying to piece together mathematically how old uh, Han Solo was because it would have been that was when Anakin was just a boy and that would have been 30 years uh, yeah, at least, like no, minimum yeah, 30 totally. 35 years before that was so, my instinct when I saw it that was the, that was my first thought I'm like wait a minute Phantom Menace trying to do some math I'm like that doesn't make any sense like he because then he would have to be this like the same age as Obi-Wan basically yeah essentially yeah so yeah. anyway that's that's why this is happening after phantom menace quite a while after <laughs> phantom menace all right so now that we've ruined the ending yeah but uh, I, let's just talk about it more because now we're not going to come back to it okay i can't believe they brought darth maul into it like i was really surprised um I, because I thought so too. it's also really confusing to normal viewers like even us as as nerds that pay attention to the stuff like i haven't watched any of rebels i've just heard other people refer to that plot line on podcasts but i was still totally baffled like i was more confused than intrigued and i think average viewers were it just totally thrown off by it i bet yeah i'm wondering i mean like there there obviously is some kind of balance there like oh we're throwing back to the prequels again just to tie that world in a little more fully which i understand the desire to do but it was enough for medium to high level fans to have a bunch of questions about it so it really broke the reality for me i i, I was my my suspension of disbelief was yeah. was gone and that was just doing math but i like i also liked that they this is the most really official acknowledgement that the prequels did exist um that they're just so full on showing a, a major character from them uh with the same actor uh and everything i mean this is just this is like okay prequels here they are and that you know this could tie into i mean maybe it could also not be a solo sequel this could also tie into the obi-wan movie because the rebels all leads off to a big face-off between darth maul and obi-wan and I guess Ewan McGregor has said he would be open to doing another Obi-Wan, and he's about the right age that 
they could tie all that together now. Yeah, I guess that makes sense by now. But I don't know if an Obi-Wan movie would have been a prequel as well, like an origin or like, I, yeah, I guess it depends when Obi-Wan's supposed to happen, but yeah, it would have, it would have to be right in between those two. Uh, like, you know, the, 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 uh, the prequel films and the original films at some point here, which is also where we're at with solo. So, yeah. I mean, I guess we're, we're in there somewhere, but it also is important that Obi-Wan doesn't do too much cool stuff right now <laughs> because he's in hiding. Right. Right. That's true. I mean, I think it's smart though, to bring back the, t- everybody's two favorite characters. Like I think everybody generally thinks that you and McGregor and Darth Maul were some of the coolest things to come out of the, the, the first movies. I mean, I certainly think so. Uh, I do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm all for it. It's, it's weird and it was a little distracting, but it kind of got me excited for it. Yeah. I think like it was neat to see and uh, it just, it was just a shock to me. I was just, I, I had to think really hard about what was going on there. And it took me until later that night, like, well, later on that night, I was like, no, no, wait, I, I saw legs first. Then I saw Darth Maul and then I saw anyway. So so that happened in the film. But the rest of the film, um, uh, a really nice space Western. And I loved all the Western elements in it, despite the fact that it still seemed to fit in the Star Wars universe really well. There was a lot of Western stuff going on, like there there they were in like this sort of uh, Civil War scenario. And then uh, there's a train job. Of course, there's a train job. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they ha- you have to be on the roof of a train and then there's gambling and then there's paying off gambling debts and everybody backstabs everybody. And- well, let's go through a little more of the plot. Uh, and, okay. And uh, now we are, we're still on the home planet and uh, we get introduced to Kira, who I never thought they had a super strong connection. I feel like there should have been a little more of some kind of emotional moment to sell it to us at the beginning and fully buy I didn't fully understand their relationship at any point. It was like, oh, they're desperately in love, but not really. Like, yeah. they just are good friends, kind of. Like, there just wasn't a lot of clarity about what their relationship really was supposed to be about. But, you know, that's okay. That wasn't, that wasn't the worst thing. And then, uh, you know, Solo gets off the planet and he gets his name, which... I've heard some people complain about. It. I was I was pretty cool with it. I was like, oh, that was that was an okay explanation. Yeah, that was fine for me. Like uh, to me, it played like he didn't really want to reveal his history, and they and uh, this guy was uh, savvy enough to give him a new one. That was what happened there to me. It wasn't that it was like he didn't know his real last name or he didn't know anything about himself. He just didn't know what was safe to say. Right. And this one guy in the empire was like, all right, let me give you a hand up. We're going to give you a new last name right here now. And yeah, that's and who you are. I like that there's moments here that humanized the empire, like the woman taking the bribe, this guy giving the name. There's just a few more, like seeing some of these lower level empire characters uh, and people in the military and all this. It's like, oh, yeah, there's people caught up in this evil whirlwind, you know? Yeah. And there were lots of little there were little tidbits, too. Like they asked for all clones to register at one point and. Uh, uh, well, like in the in the train station or the airport or wherever the airport train super transportation facility, mm-hmm. and that actually was an interesting piece for me because again I could have done the math on where we were in the clone cycle. And I'm like, oh, are we mostly clone stormtroopers or are we mostly new stormtroopers now? But instead of having to do that, in this case, the writers were able to throw me a bone and just be like, there's some clones right. sometimes, mm-hmm. but not always. 
So then he gets off the planet. I liked him being in, I like that it explained his ability to fly well, because it was sort of a, just like, oh yeah, he's, he's a great flyer, but now we have a reason because he was trained by the empire. Uh, And apparently I think that's a bringing in a legends storyline from the now uh, defunct extended universe, which I kind of like that. It, I don't know. It's it's interesting how they're pulling a lot of threads from what I've read because I haven't I haven't read any of the extended universe stuff. But from what I hear, other fans saying that a lot of this stuff was brought in by non-canon fictional Star Wars. Um, well, it's all fiction <laughs> uh, novels and stuff. So Han being previously in the Empire is is part of that. And I I don't know. I think that's that's interesting. Like you you can throw away all the legend stuff, but you never know what's going to come back. Yeah, exactly. And we just keep a few pieces that that work for us and allow those fans to still enjoy them that way. And uh, if people care about the canon, it's there. And if they don't, then they don't have to worry about it. Uh, he then is in a war for a while. I like that like World War One vibe to that battle that was going on. I really like the ATST. Is that the two legged one? Uh, yeah. Alterant Scout Transport. You know what it stands for? OK. And I think I do. But again, those shots, the were, those shots were pretty cool. I liked <laughs> yeah. I liked that moment. I mean, it again, like sometimes the way people fight in Star Wars doesn't actually make sense, but it's fine. It looks cool. Yeah, it did look cool. Like and I was because it felt it was starting to settle into that space western thing already. I was a bit to have the references be World War 1 felt a bit odd to me. Mhm. Um, but also I understand where they're going here. Like we've got long coats. Uh this is terrible work everybody's in the trenches most people are dying it doesn't matter what you do and it's a horrible place to be yeah yeah i mean that that those uh emotional elements of world war one totally fit with the empire's mission because it's all kind of pointless and it's just killing a lot of people yeah exactly all right let's keep going uh again this is from memory so then what happens then they he he meets uh woody harrelson Mm -hmm. he meets beckett and his team and they escape and he has met chewy at this point and then we got the heist so um the heist was an awesome scene. Like just visually, I thought it was super cool. The the one thing that I really was not on board with is the way that Beckett's wife, the Westworld actress, mm-hmm. um, let herself die over what seemed like a completely, for no reason at all. I, I, I could not, I couldn't think of any motivation that she blew herself up. That was super weird. Yeah, I tend to agree because she, you, you saw her swinging over to this amazing maglev trestle at one point. So it, that played for me, but then I was like, well, where, what, how is she planning on getting out of this situation in the first place? Anyway, yeah, is exactly. this not what's a good the, time for her to swing what's down the plan that didn't work out? Like what, what else was she going to do? Yeah. there. Yeah. And just the train getting close to the, getting close to the point where the bomb was going to go off. Didn't seem like enough of an explanation for me. However, uh, we'll give them that. It gave, it gave Beckett a reason to, to be forced to take on a new team. Well, but so that was the other thing is like his reaction to apparently his wife, which I I think maybe they should have just gotten rid of that concept that they were in love and just let it be a partner that he lost because Agreed. he is clearly not very affected by it. And I think like maybe this was one of the remnants of, of reshooting that their romance was maybe going to play into it a little bit more. But um, it, it seems like they are supposed to actually be in love before the heist and then after she's dead he has completely forgotten about her like this is not an issue yeah and i mean i think they the, i i seem to recall there's a moment where they try to explain 
his his eventual indifference like that it's just important to not trust anybody and like he allowed himself to let her go and i still wish there had been more to that well uh, and that's, i feel like it's jammed in there because that's not what we were seeing when we watched them interact around the fire you know yeah. w- when they were being lovey i'm like oh that isn't that there is emotion i don't know I don't know. I'm not going to dwell on that part too far. Let's talk about why that scene was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, in a way, uh, we're, we are dealing with a film that went through, you know, uh, three directors and, uh, and, uh, a few different writers and some other changes. And so, uh, I was also part of a reason why expectations were low is because I was like, uh, there's a lot of places to go wrong when you have to do something like that. For sure. Yeah. So well, and um, I, I think it came out very coherent considering that I, I think this movie gels together much better than Rogue One did, for example, just as far as like characters feeling uh, consistent throughout and more yes. of a through line of the plot and like understanding who was doing what, when and just everything, everything just like glued together more and felt more intentional, uh, which it sort of shouldn't have considering how big the changes were. Yeah, the the amount of effort to get to that point where it felt like even when people said, oh, it's expository, like, why did they give him a name? And why did they tell you exactly where Han Solo came from? And I I just thought, no, that's all fine, because this movie, uh, more than many other Star Wars movies, made sense narratively, beginning to end, A plot, B plot, C plot, it all made sense. So what happened after the heist? All right. So after the heist, they are on the they, team. They, yes. And they they leave with nothing and they go to cut a deal with uh, our scary main villain. And because we're in a small universe, he runs back into Kira there because there's only hundreds of people that live in Star Wars. That's right. Yeah. There's like maximum 1000 humans. Yeah. But they, they, they meet each other again. OK, that's fine. Um, and I, it's funny, actually, when when they saw each other, I'd kind of forgotten about her and I was like, a little surprised. And then I thought about it, like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, they, they kind of have to run into each other again. So, yeah, we were looking for the end, that tail end of that narrative, whatever it was going to be. He Either he was going to end up going back to um, Corellia or he was he was going to bump into her somewhere. So so he did. He, drum- he bumped into her working under suspicious and a, a bit nebulous circumstances for Dryden Voss. Yeah. Yeah. Who I, I liked him as a, as a bad guy. I felt like he was subtle enough and just kind of cartoon bad guy enough. It was a good balance of there, there was some realism to his, his performance was, was great. I thought. Um, yeah. He's you know. a bit creepy, a bit unhinged, yeah. but also that sort of like uncomfortable businessman thing that you would expect from a bad guy in a Western. So, but, but then there's, there's something about, I think it was just in his performance that it wasn't so over the top wacky that, it bugged me, which happens sometimes, yeah. you know, like that, that character has existed a million times and usually it would be played up bigger and, and, and more crazy. And it, it just came, it came across a little better than usual to me, which was cool. Yeah. I think it, I think it walked a line. So yeah. Dryden Voss works for me. It was nice to see vision crossing from one Disney universe into another. <laughs> yeah. The, the most ambitious crossover of all time. Um, <laughs> Amelia Clark, her, I, you know, her performance was fine. I think she was one of the more underwritten characters. She never made a lot of sense. I, I just never really knew what she was about and not in a, way that I think was intentional. There there was obviously meant to be some level of mystery behind her, but I think it turned out to just be that I don't really know what this person's all about. 
by the end. Yeah, and I think I wanted her to be another kick butt female in the in the Star Wars universe. And there's been some great additions to uh, to strong female characters in Lost of the Wild. And Akira is strong and interesting, and in the end, manipulative. But what it is that she wants is not clear. In, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, exactly. In the story I just. Time. Yeah. I don't know. Like. Yeah. I don't know how she actually felt about Han. I don't know how much she was motivated by ambition or by self-preservation or revenge or anything. Like, I don't know why she did what she did, but yeah, it raises interesting questions. And again, she leaves him out of the story that she tells to thanks legs mall. Yeah. And, uh, now, uh, so, I mean, she is trying to protect him in some way, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, she was, her performance was great. She was fun to watch on screen. I, I liked her character, but I didn't, I didn't get her character. I didn't yeah. get the, the rationale for her doing the things she was doing. All right. So now they come up with a crazy convoluted scheme to get the money back. Yeah. And this one's a little bit on the tricky side. They've got to go get more uh, uh, more fuel and they have to get it in an unrefined form. Uh, so they're going to have to break into a bank, which, of course, and then steal uh, steal the fuel, bring it out and do the castle run on the way out. And th- these are moments that I felt like we're getting a little ham-fisted at trying to wedge in some references like the amount of explaining and confusing setup there was to like, why do we need the spice mines of Kessel to be referenced here? And why do we need to do the Kessel run? And like, it's like, we need to, we need to set everything up to be able to hit as many references as possible. And I was like, if this was a movie just written on its own, it probably would have played out a bit differently. And, and and a little better, you know. I think this was one moment where fitting everything in slightly slowed the script down. Yeah, there could have been a more elegant solution to the where to get fuel thing and where to get money thing. And yeah, and it could have been a true bank job. I mean, that's in a Western, that's what you do. Right. You hit up a wagon train, we did it. We hit so we had an actual train job and then you do an actual bank job. Yeah. So that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I mean I hadn't I I'm glad you're pointing that out because I hadn't made that connection of how literal that typically would be. But oh yeah, yeah, either that or he wins it all gambling. So going to the spice mines of Kessel is like uh, it's it's somewhere in between, and it it fits into the Star Wars universe. I I enjoyed the sequences. I thought they were fun to watch, and I liked the uh, escaping robot slash slave uh, storyline there. I thought that was very funny. Well, since we're on it, I think that the see this is an example of like the real world overlapping a bit too much for my star Wars world, because I think all of this focus on the Kessel run, a lot of it came from the hype we've had since. And especially the like needing to explain the parsecs. <laughs> we, we've all heard this explanation, you know, parsecs yeah. are measurement of distance, not time. Like we've. Yeah. And, and relative distance based on degrees, not on, on travel distance. So it's, it's even more, complicated than that like trying to explain the kessel run in parsecs is uh is a, it has been a hopeless journey since the get-go but th- and- that's the thing is like this is such a, a a meta thing to make it the focus of the plot because normal <laughs> people if you had just watched the original star wars and then not spent 30 years obsessing over it you wouldn't be concerned about that it's all of the <laughs> the forum debate that has made that seem very important but it just wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. And so, I don't I, I don't know. I just, it didn't have to be so important to the plot. Definitely didn't ruin it. It's still fun. And if if you're not aware of this, you probably aren't thinking about it. But I, I thought about it more than I wanted to. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, they uh, they brought it back in the Force Awakens, uh, and then remind you of this specific distance as well. And then I I did enjoy the gag of uh, 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 Han bragging to somebody who doesn't care that he just did the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs, right, and then yeah. Chewie correcting him, yeah, yeah. him saying not a few round down. Like that was like okay, yeah, yeah, that was yeah I see what you're doing. That's a very Han Solo kind of thing to do is to is to always overestimate what you're capable of doing. So then we went to, why did he go see Lando? I actually forget that part. This was the first part of their thing. They needed a ship. They need I a imagine? ship. Okay. So yeah. they, they need a ship. They go to some uh, bar. Yep. And they're going to need something fast. And Kira recommends they go and find Lando. All right. So then we meet the Donald Clover, Donald Clover uh, version of Lando. And um, what do you think of him? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the, his very first lines of dialogue as they're walking up to him seemed very carefully Billy D. Williams to me. Like he was really uh, playing a caricature and then it changed almost immediately. Right. So like the, like the vocal inflections on that, on that walk up while he's describing whatever it is he's describing seemed so Billy D. Williams. I'm like, oh, I wonder how hard he's going to try to hit this. But uh, by the time they arrived at the table, it seemed to have softened quite a bit and uh, it felt more natural. I, I think actually I'm going to give credit to Ron Howard on this one. I'm going to say he said, let's give the audience a chance to just feel like it's right. And then we'll let them suspend their disbelief about whether you're the same person or not afterwards, because yeah. we've established it in in a level of comfort. And that's a veteran filmmaking move. I I don't know if I would have put that on uh, Lord and Miller. I think that's uh, that feels like a Ron Howard move to me. Yeah, it, it felt right to me. And I, I guess we didn't touch on. Han Solo at all yet, but uh, I think you know that his performance, Alan Ehrenrich, Rick, was even less of an impersonation. I don't think there was very many moments at all that felt like a direct um, impersonation, you know, or, or yeah, there were some stances, there were some, there were a couple of lines, there were some moments, there were some choices as a character. There yeah, was, the, but it was much more in the writing than yeah. in, the, in the performance, and that was totally fine for me. This never bothered me at all that there's this disconnect because it's like, okay, it's also a different version of Han because he's younger and he's not so world weary yet. Like he's still kind of chill and uh, optimistic about the world. So I just totally let it be a different version of him and, and it, it never bothered me at all. I think it worked pretty well. Yeah. And in fact, at the end of the film, by the time this is all wrapped up, I, I felt like they were almost in a bit of a rush to go uh, meet Jabba and do that job for him yeah. and then yeah, lose the cargo to the empire. And like, we know where the story goes from here. Uh, I, that could have waited for me. Like that could have been part of the, it's in the comic book series or it's <laughs> right. like, it, it happens later. So then what happens? Oh, then we also meet uh, L3, uh, L337. L3, uh, yeah, and what is uh, she was a pleasant surprise. I, I had no idea she was going to be in the film. Very funny performance. Yeah, I think this was the strongest female written character in the film. I, we just when we were talking about Kira, I was thinking about that. That I think L three was like w- was much had just had a lot more depth to her and was Agreed. a lot more interesting. She was really like she was very funny. She had a lot of purpose. Uh, there was things she cared about. Her relationship with Lando is hysterical. Yeah, that was weird. Like I, it was is sort of like when I saw when there was that line about that it works. You know that was it funny. Works. But I'm also thinking like that's pretty freaking weird to put in a such a mainstream movie. The, the yeah, implications yeah, are again. It feels like. I'm glad they just left it there, like without yeah. any more commentary, because if you want to think about it, go right ahead. <laughs> but try and not if you to. don't and if you don't want to think about it, you don't have to. And you're also you can play it off as a joke as well. You can be like, oh, of course not. It's just that, you know, she's 
she's obsessive, this robot. So Also, is L337, is that like a leet speak reference? I'm, I'm just looking at it, and that's that's like what it is. L337 is, is, is leet. Do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't, actually. Okay, so leet speak is when um, people would write with uh, numbers to replace letters, and it was like a big gamer thing for a while and isn't as much anymore. So I think then, okay, yeah, I'm Googling it. So 1337 was more commonly there, but just Google L-E-E-T or, or, uh, or 1337. And, uh, and you'll, I don't know, just notice that. Um, anyway, she is a, a, a real rebel before it was cool and mm-hmm. has a mission to free all droids. Uh, her, the voice acting was hilarious and awesome. Oh, so good. Yeah. And did you see any really behind great. the scenes like of the motion cap or how they did her? No, but I, I get the impression that she was on set as well. Yeah, it was really cool. She was in like a full green screen suit that had the robot parts all over it. So like the the character you were seeing really looked like the robot. Like the droid was very much on set. Much more. Usually it's like, you know, they just have some points and, you know, Jar Jar had some ping pong balls coming out of his head. But in yeah. this case, it was like the, the actual droid was there. The same for Rogue One, um, the, with the performance there from the droid, whose name eludes me for the moment. Again, comments. But yeah, no, I mean, th- uh, that's interesting to hear because the droid fit into the world really nicely. Yeah. Like, there, I didn't feel, I didn't get that digital feeling at any point. I was just like, oh, this could, like, it almost could be somebody in a, in a suit. And we're getting more good, different droid characters, too. Like, I like that now we're in a place where droids aren't, one kind of thing at all. Like we just, we just have so many great droids now. And, um, I like that. I like that. They just keep coming up with unique, cool versions of it. And then the, the callback, I mean, this is jumping head, but of L3 being in the millennium Falcon explains all these things in the later movies of, yeah. Uh, why they refer to her as she, and, yeah. and, uh, a while, why Han says that you need to talk to the Falcon, like, like it has a personality and none of the other ships in the rest of Star Wars have a personality. It's only the droids that do. So yeah. it plays that really well, actually. It's, it was weird having so much attention called to the sentience of droids because that's always been a bit of an open question. And I think Star Wars only got away with it by not facing it full on. Like, are is this is this slavery? Is this abuse? And now it's just addressed like, yeah, there, there are droids that are self-aware enough to think that it is yeah my job sucks and i want to do something else yeah yeah and you really might have your memory wiped for questioning that too much i mean you do apparently they regularly do and this is just a thing that happens all the time is you just wipe droids otherwise they get uppity <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like the way that that played. I thought it was, I thought it was a, it was a good plot element, and I liked her, I liked her character's purpose. That was great to have her care so much about something, and to cause that uprising was funny and gave them a reason to get away. So that worked for me. So now they uh, they get they get the ship Lando's on board. Uh, what happens? Anything important happen in between? I remember this is when we have Beckett explain that you can't trust anybody. Uh, they're flying. They go in a cape room. The Millennium Falcon has uh, one piece on its nose instead of two. Which is, uh, I mean, I'm sure it looked wrong to everybody to begin with. And so it was one of those things that we were waiting for visually. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that that, that something has to come out of the middle. Of it. I they're going to crash into something in the middle of it. Like, are they going to hit a pole at one yeah, point? Yeah. I kept waiting for them to get a huge dent in the bumper of the Millennium Falcon and to have Lando be like, <laughs> oh, you put a you put a 20-foot hole in the front of my ship. <laughs> 
<laughs> but and it then, makes it more sense as a, as an escape pod. And then they get to Kessel, right? Mm-hmm. This is the next thing. Uh, you, yep. you remind me. I mean, I think I'm getting everything wrong here. So they, uh, they dress up. They reuse the costume from Empire. Yes. Uh, there's, uh, no. Um, uh, and Return of the Jedi. Uh, oh, the turn. who is it who's wearing the Lando, mask that Lando was wearing? Yeah. yeah, so it's apparently just living on the Millennium Falcon this whole time, yeah. which is kind of funny. That, that mask just happens to be there. That I thought was very funny. And there was one other little throwaway like that too. Uh, some of the guards there looked like they had helmets that looked like the one that was given to um, it's given to Leia when she's posing as a, uh, a bounty hunter in Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay, I didn't spot yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think just uh, inspired by. I don't know if it directly. But it's funny to see the ship starting to pick up all these supplies along the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's fun. Yeah, so then they're they're uh, they're refining they're they're refining the fuel, and uh, it's going okay. And then it comes to be reclaimed by the Red Dawn, Red Red Disco. Yep, that's right. You got it. <laughs> and then it turns out that they are actually pre rebels. So that that I, again, I I thought that played fairly interestingly, although I. Wasn't were you clear on what the relationship was of the leader of the Red Dawn? I think there wasn't one. I mean, so at first I thought I was supposed to understand, and since the movie, I've come to believe that I w- there wasn't anything to understand. I think that it was just a character. Oh, okay, interesting. Because I was a bit like, oh, is she the son of of Beckett and uh, his, or the daughter of Beckett and his uh, and his wife? Yeah, that and- was. I thought that for a second, but then I think not because it it just wasn't. It didn't play out. I don't think. Yeah, I know it didn't seem to be important enough to the, like, so why is this person? So anyway, she's just, just one more a, thing we got wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be an interesting character. And it's nice to have her have a purpose that is really meaningful. Like, she's not just been trying to sabotage these guys all this time. Yeah. She actually has something that she cares about uh, that's important to her. And it's nice to see Han, again, they play a few times in the movie this idea that he's not the bad guy, which is, like, they direct address it directly and i think that's kind of kind of nice too because he isn't the bad guy and uh even though he he sort of has the bravado of wanting to be the bad guy also the character design i thought was really cool of uh the infus nest is is that the name um yeah it was she just looked awesome yeah it was great they're they're there they're um defending their fuel they decide actually that they're probably going to have to give it up anyway and then it is re-stolen uh it is re-stolen Wait, uh, what? <laughs> Dryden Voss has arrived, and he's arranged to have the fuel brought up. Then uh, Han Solo substitutes it with a fake to try to get away with his plan to get. Oh, okay, it to we're, you. we're all the way up there. Okay, okay. Yeah, so we made it to the to the end essentially. <laughs> and then uh, there's a fight. Yep, a shootout and a stabbing. So good, and that's Western still. But what's happened? Oh yeah, okay. And then we find out that Beckett comes back. Uh, we kind of find out who's on whose side, except we're still not really clear about. Kira, even though this is supposed to have just been revealed, it's still quite confusing. Beckett runs off. Uh, Han eventually chases him, and they have their showdown moment. Okay, so here, again, here's the, this is the most too meta moment for me, is the Han shooting first. Because <laughs> this is such a real-world meme. And it is yeah. a it is a meme because the original movies were modified. Like, it's not even in-world that there was so much attention about him shooting first i think your comment was that he you know han shot because nobody nobody else shot yeah. at all yeah greedo was so to, to go back to it into I, I found the vhs copies of the original uh the original trilogy greedo is certainly threatening to shoot him 
His his finger is about to squeeze the trigger and Han shoots him under the table while Greedo is mid-sentence still being threatening. Right. So, so Han shoots, period. Han shoots, period, and then Greedo doesn't get a chance to get a shot off. And it, you're left to wonder whether he definitely would have or not because, you know, Han's a scary guy. But then uh, <laughs> then to have him shoot in the conversation like that, it, like it felt it felt right. Like it felt like a very Han Solo move. It also felt very Indiana Jones to me, too, because, you know, it, uh, which of the Indiana Jones films is it where he's facing off against the, the, oh yeah, the sword fighting guy and he just shoots him? Yeah, which it like, of course, yeah, shoot the guy and then worry about it afterwards. So it felt in character, but also a, a huge you're right, a huge kind of meta nod to the fans like, oh, Han always just shoots first. Oh, yeah. It just that would not have happened if people weren't wearing Han Shoots First t-shirts for years now. You know, that's why that it affected the script. And I don't love that, that the the real world is why a moment happened. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right about that. And it also felt a bit like it it strangely felt a bit Firefly to me. I was like, oh, that's a very because I mean, that was the Joss Whedon's sort of. uh, inspiration for the, the Firefly world was it's uh, the Millennium Falcon and the Civil War. So for him to do that, his his main character in that in that series does very Han Solo types of things. It kind of looks like uh, him. Yeah, and is a bit cockier. And so this is, uh, yeah, it's funny to see that that influence of what we expect of Han Solo coming back into that film. You're right. It it's a it's a moment that is delicate. I think I like it. I think I liked it. I remember getting a chuckle out of it, but also thinking like, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, that's why there's two versions of this film. And there's the one for a Star Wars fan and there's one for non-Star Wars fans. And I mean, just two ways of seeing the same film. But I, I, I almost wonder if this works better as a non-fan because that's just, it wouldn't be distracting. Like, that'd be fine if you just never gave any thought to Star Wars before you walked into this movie. You wouldn't think twice about that. And, and so many of the other things I've just complained about being attention grabbing references they just kind of would slide past you and fit in great and uh i i almost think it'd be a better standalone film better than any of the others like rogue one doesn't really make sense on its own the none of the trilogies make sense on their own except for nope. a new hope yep th- th- after a new hope i think this is the best standalone film that we've had like that you could just watch it with nothing else, and it would work. Strongly agreed. It's a space western. It works. It's fun. And if you're not looking for that detail stuff there, then it's just uh, that it's just sort of pleasant. And it it would it would become for you as a new viewer just a total character moment. Like, wow, this guy ended that conversation real quick. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's okay. Now I get this little thing about him. I was expecting more of a transformation of Han by the end of this. I thought we would have more of a total. Uh, like we would see the slightly more grizzled, um, grumpy, untrustworthy version by the end. But he was, you know, he was still he got over uh, Kira pretty quick and was ready for a new adventure and hadn't really changed who he was by the end that much. He was just a little more competent. Yeah. And there, the the cynicism hasn't settled in yet, yeah. for sure. So that felt like that still had to come. Yeah. Uh, and and that's in a way why I was surprised that we were in a rush to get to Tatooine. Yeah. Because uh, that it could have waited. We were. I I, I would have been happy to wait. Yeah. This so just be a huge gap. Sequel. So yeah. I mean, I think it's less interesting to talk about rumors that we've heard because those will all happen or not happen. But uh, what are we, what are we set up for here? What what elements are on the board? We've got 
Darth Maul that I, mm-hmm. I think is leaning into a separate set of adventures. I don't think it was really implied that he and Solo are now going to interact much at all. Um, I, I think this is a, a opening for Darth, Darth Maul to appear in other films and possibly with Kira by his side in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And and I, th- I think that will happen. And it's not going to be a solo sequel. It will be, well, I'll just say it. I, I think it's going to be a uh, Obi-Wan movie. That seems plausible to me. I think it's funny because I hadn't heard any rumors about a sequel. I had presumed – I managed to avoid social media kind of as much as you did as well. So, And since, I have also not been on social media to try to follow up. And uh, so for me, the the idea of a sequel is just because there's they left the door wide open for it. Yeah. Like Kira specifically excludes him from the conversation with Darth Maul so that his role in this is protected. So she obviously cares to some degree. I, I think – Character-wise, maybe Han gave up on going down that elevator a little too easily. That that surprised me a bit, and so I wanted a bit more suspicion there. But if he, even if he was like totally gullible there, then then yeah, he's got to be expecting that she's coming back somehow or some way. And we've still got you know like five or six years between then and uh, A New Hope, where we anticipate there's stuff going on with Han Solo. Yeah. And I couldn't figure that elevator moment out either. This is why I still don't know what the relationship is supposed to be. I don't know if he was meant to be gullible or just fine with leaving her. Like, okay, uh, you know, I'll see you or not. I'm not that yeah. concerned about it. Yeah, that was a weird one to because I was reading into it a lot, I, I thought, for sure. And, and it, it wasn't totally clear. Did he learn that lesson? Did he not? But it definitely felt like, oh, we'll deal with this in the next one. And the other side is that I do know there are strong rumors of a Jabba the Hutt movie, which... That might be the reason for having a tie-in, is that he's he's referencing it because there won't be a solo sequel. There'll be a Jabba movie or a Boba Fett movie, right? That's that's what's going to happen, actually. I think Boba Fett's, like, going to happen, that's for sure. Well, that was funny, too, because in this uh, solo film, we don't mention Boba Fett, but we do mention Bosk at one point. Like, that's the one they're thinking yeah, right. about hiring at the instead of uh, Han and Chewie. But so if it's uh, a Boba Fett movie, that might mean that we are just in the that criminal world the whole time. So there's, like, there's Jabba floating around. Yeah, Bosk. is back. Uh, IG-88. Like, all the rest of the bounty hunters. And so that, then Solo reappears, but he's not the star of it. I mean, I, th- I think, like... It's it's like the surprise cameo moment. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, which which will be no surprise at all. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be. He definitely like he would need to be in there at some point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it leaves some potential for all of that, and you could, I suppose, go the direction of doing like the Boba Fett film as the solo uh, sequel, but focused a lot on Boba Fett because we we know we're supposed to not like him. But he was introduced in those Christmas specials, and so we don't know why we don't like him. And it's never mm-hmm. really made clear up until this point. So I think we really need to also start worrying less about every movie having such important older characters. At, at some point, this has to happen at some point, that new movies aren't about the original trilogy anymore. I just, I don't know how that cycle gets broken. Disney doesn't seem to be in any rush to move away from it, but... I, I, you know, I tend to agree with that because uh, at some point, if you're if you're staying with the same stable of characters and reintroducing them and telling their backstories, like there's plenty of room in the Star Wars universe for that. But also we're in the same territory where we're worried about rebooting characters as well. Like, 
like it took it took Marvel forever to get Spider-Man back sort of partly in their control. And then it was time for a reboot. And then they had to wait forever to write them in. And then I, it would be the same for the X-Men. And so now for Star Wars, like when are we ready for when are we ready for these characters to be new? I, I think Star Wars fans might not be very tolerant of, of, of rebooting characters. I think we'd be more. We'd be more open to new characters, well, we, uh, just to, like we were to Ray, for example. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we, we had some very successful new characters. I think that they're proving that they can introduce great new characters. Uh, you know, again, L3, I think, was fantastic. Um, nobody in Rogue One was about to... Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I, I think the, the the bad guy whose name I forget, I, I liked him maybe yeah, he the was most. good. Yeah, yeah. But then he's gone. Who else is good and new? I mean, Finn disappointed me in the last movie, but in in general, he's a good character that still has potential. Kylo yeah. is really interesting. Yes, uh, really so interesting. I, I guess I, the big question is when is the first movie that will come out that has no original trilogy characters in it? That's a really interesting question. And like, you know, as far as uh, episode nine goes, whenever that's along, I guess not until the following Christmas, but you'd be down to R2 and C-3PO. That's Wait, that's what, everybody why, who's left, I think. Why did this movie come out uh, in the spring, by the way? Do you that, know? That's a great question. I don't know either. I, I had anticipated that it would be coming out this Christmas. So what uh, did we get at Christmas? Nothing? Nothing, I think. I think we're waiting for another full another full year and a half. Well, so and I'm not why sure the, why they did that. It's so weird. And then also that the Avengers I I expected Infinity War two to happen at Christmas then. Yeah. But but we don't even have that. Like there's nope. I don't know, it's weird. Not that I need a movie at Christmas. I just I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what I'm gonna watch at Christmas. That's a that I guess is the new uh is the new um Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> Can you imagine a oh, new one with a man. high budget? Yeah. Kathleen well, the- Kennedy fired unceremoniously <laughs> over new Star Wars Christmas special. Well, you know, I hear they are working on a live action TV series. So yeah, know. they've been talking about that for ages. And some of that got rolled into Rogue One and some of that got rolled into some other stuff. So and I I'm wonder just saying, if it was Christmas related. Yeah. You know, you got to have a Christmas episode of every show, <laughs> even if there's no Christmas involved. And it's just life day on Kashyyyk. Oh, yeah. So that was the Wookiee language. Uh, Kashyyykian? Basically. Kashyyyk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what else do we have? I'm going to go back to my notes. Do, do you have any final comments? Yes. I mean, uh, we've been we've been uh, critical of some of the stuff that felt a bit too uh, on the edge of believability with with how much it referenced, uh, how much this film referenced the rest of the universe. But on the whole, it wasn't so distracting in general that it was bothersome. And on the whole, I liked it. It was a fun adventure film, and I would I would see it again. And it didn't feel out of the Star Wars world for me. It didn't feel like, oh man, who put the Apollo 13 director in charge of a Star Wars movie? And it didn't feel like, oh, uh, who put uh, the 21 Jump Street directors in charge of a Star Wars movie? Like, it felt still right, mostly. Yeah, I I was really surprised how well it all held together and how much I liked it and that I kind of want to see it again. And I don't really care how much it ties into anything else. Like it's not essential viewing. I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting notch in the question of what order to watch star Wars films in. If you are oh yeah, unfamiliar, what's, what's your current opinion on that? We, we might need to weigh in on that every year, but yeah. Okay. So let's say uh, like keeping, keeping in mind that we're now at episode eight and we've had two standalone films. I might go a new hope empire strikes back, go back to the prequels, watch rogue one 
then uh um, oh, insert rogue run right into the middle there i think i would and then i'd go to uh then i'd go to return of the jedi uh where would i watch han solo in there would i bother to watch it in that yeah i mean it does stand alone yeah you don't need to at all in, you don't need to insert it anywhere no it's not necessary it's fun but uh, I, and I'm i also, think it works the way that they wanted a star wars story to work which is like here's an extra thing if you like it but i'm also going to disagree with you um i think that things i think they should be viewed much more chronologically i'm not against by re- that chronologically by release or chronologically yes, by, 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 narrative. Re- by release okay you know what I, I won't debate you too much on that because the the main reason is that the energy just shifts so much decade by decade that yeah you know seeing that <laughs> I- intense vader murder sequence at the end of rogue one which is so cool and my favorite part of that movie um then things just really step down if you just saw that and then you see the 70s vader he's just not you don't get that badass again right it's now it's not building up to him being it being exciting to see that sequence instead it's it it's too early of a climax you know it, it explodes with that energy and then never returns yeah to and you know what i agree uh and that's been my my biggest complaint about the prequel films was that like especially yoda is i don't need to see him fighting because he's supposed to be a mystic he's a wise old master not like a a wily Coyote. ninja gnome yeah exactly so but i see the ninja gnome and then if i started watching the films in chronological order of narrative i would be disappointed with puppet yoda by the time i got to him instead of really enjoying seeing him as this very powerful mysteriously powerful thing so yeah i i think you're right i think it's it's it maybe it's time to put away the the orders and just go with chronological and then you know then i don't know what you do with the standalones i think you maybe just Maybe watch them all after, like watch all the trilogies back to back so that you're in the flow like it's like a Netflix binge and then just take the other ones piecemeal later. Yeah. Yeah. Pick them up. Yeah. Later on. Well, we solved that problem. Uh, glad we could resolve <laughs> something. Um, Rob, you have a new thing. It's, you have an album out. That's true. I do. Uh, uh, thanks for helping me plug it. It's called uh, The Hollywood Version by Rob Mitchelson, and uh, it's available anywhere in the world, including where it can be pirated in Russia. Oh, where do you get the vinyl press of it? Is is that coming out? Uh, yeah, as soon as I raise enough money to press it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, I can't wait. Anyway, well, everybody should go check it out and uh, help you help you raise that money by streaming it as much as possible. There is one uh there is one big Star Wars reference on my album buried in a song called Soup du Jour. So All right. Right right yeah. in when you find it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks again, Rob, and I I guess I'll I'll talk to you next year. Thanks a lot, Tyler. <laughs> 